We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. I'm not a cocky person. I'm just passionate. Final round. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a new podcast partner immediately. Quarantine and chill. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in, everyone. This is the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports. Check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. Also partnered with 440 Sports, our podcasting partner. I am Justin Graver, joined as always by Justin Mello. How's it going tonight? I'm doing well, Justin. Uh, Happy to be here as always. Super happy that we get to preview a game that we are not questioning whether or not it's going to happen, that we can record this podcast tonight. And, you know, barring the craziest of crazy curveballs hitting us on Friday morning, I think we can be safely confident that what we say tonight will hold relevant when this podcast airs. We got some news to get into. We got a great guest on our show today, Lance Zierlein of NFL.com, who's on the radio in Houston, is going to come on in a little bit to preview the Texans game that the Titans will be playing on Sunday. Quick turnaround for this team. They just played on Tuesday night. If you want your recaps for all that stuff, broadwaysportsmedia.com. Check out the F-Words podcast. They talked about it. Check out Second and Victory. They talked about it. Check out the Coach's Corner podcast. They got in-depth in the review before heading over to a preview. So we have tons of recap content. This podcast is going to shift focus to next game. Look at the Houston Texans. And before we get there, let's talk about some news. I think this was the most shocking thing because it just came completely out of nowhere. Kamale Correa traded to the Jaguars on Wednesday. Titans give up a seventh round pick and Correa, they get the Jags sixth round pick. We can expect the Jags will have an early sixth round pick and the Titans will have a late seventh round pick. So it's like a round and a half swing when you think of it that way. What do you think of this story? It came out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, A, good job by the Titans. Uh, if you had seen that that press conference that Vrabel had uh, just hours uh, before Correa was traded, you know, Vrabel didn't hold any punches. He flat out came out and said, uh, we're going to release him. We told him we'd be releasing him uh, as if per his request, but we'll see if, you know, a, a trade materializes over these next couple of hours. And then, you know, give it, I don't think it was even two hours later when the, the announcement was made that he was traded to Jacksonville. So great job by the Titans for getting anything back for a player that they were clearly going to release as per was Correa's request. Um, look, you know, he's only played 39 snaps uh, through three games technically he wasn't probably going to be up for this one he had just come off the covid list earlier in the day so whether he was healthy enough to go i i guess we don't know for sure but uh he'd only played 39 snaps um throughout the first couple of games obviously not uh hasn't hasn't been a big factor he hasn't really factored into the titans plans um so far this year and it's a, it's a mini surprise in a way obviously he played the best football of his career down the stretch last season i thought he played the best uh game of his career in the playoffs against baltimore he was really really good in that game uh titans bring him back in august on an affordable deal after he sort of tested the waters in free agency maybe didn't find the deal or the money that he was looking for titans got him back on a pretty team-friendly deal but look they already had vic beasley at that point and then they go out and sign you know Jadavion Clowney as well so uh you can't blame the titans for 
wanting to see a lot of Harold Landry, a lot of Clowney, a lot of Beasley on the field uh, based on what they're paying those guys. And, and of course, Landry being the stud rusher that he is. So uh, just no room for Correa here. Uh, it's a, of course, it's another contract year for him. I get it. You know, he's looking to make sure he produces. He's looking to play to try to earn another contract uh, this coming offseason. He's, he's, you know, he's thinking about his future. Uh, certainly can't blame him for that. I, I think the move makes sense probably for both parties. I'm honestly shocked at how little Correa has been used by the Titans this year, especially there was a big deal made about Harold Landry needs to play less snaps and Shane Bowen talking about it himself. And then you come out and Correa is like a non-factor for the first three games. Then he goes on the COVID list. I mean, I'm shocked that they couldn't find a role for him here because it's not like he wasn't able to learn the defense. I mean, he he's played in this system for a long time now. He was great in the playoffs. You just mentioned that against Baltimore. So like why they weren't able to work him into the rotation, who knows, but he's the Jaguars problem now. And perhaps the Jaguars are his problem now, some other news we're going to talk about. Titans activate Adam Humphreys, Cameron Batson. They activated Correa, Christian Fulton off the COVID list before Tuesday's game, but Fulton did not end up being active for that. But they've got Humphreys back, Batson back. They activated Jeffrey Simmons on Thursday. Christian Fulton should be back for the game. Those are huge pieces to be returning in a big divisional matchup. The Titans show that the next man up mentality is pretty strong in this team and that they may not I mean they're never going to make excuses but they may not even need some of their best players to beat to have great games as we saw on Tuesday night but Simmons coming back Adam Humphreys coming back Corey Davis is still out but Batson as well huge lift to the wide receiver core and obviously Simmons is probably the one of the best players on defense yeah, this is this is huge for them. You know, getting guys like Adam Humphreys back, getting guys like Jeffrey Simmons back. Uh, I know it didn't you know didn't look like they missed those guys on Tuesday. What an incredible performance that was! But you know, Simmons again is is you know one of your best players on defense, hands down, uh, in my opinion. Getting a guy like Humphreys back uh, is huge as well. You saw how short they were at receiver on Tuesday. Had you know only four of them active, and two of them you know were, were Cody Hollister and Nick Westbrook. Three undrafteds. Yeah, three undrafted, right, when you include <laughs> Cody Raymond uh, in that list. So getting Humphreys back is huge. I mean, look, even Cameron Batson, I, I expect him to, to be one of those guys that they bring up um, from the practice squad once again this week uh, and have him active, especially, um, you know, we expect Corey Davis to miss this game once again. But, look, the Titans are getting healthier. They, they've pretty much, all, you know, almost put this entire, um, you know, COVID saga behind them. Uh, I expect next week against the Steelers, you're going to have everyone back. You know, the remaining guys, Corey Davis, uh, Michael Pruitt, and Kari Blossing game are the three guys that remain on the list now um, who are still out. So uh, the team's getting healthier. They're putting this behind them, and I'm excited to, to get, you know, to see Jeffrey Simmons this week and Adam Humphreys. So those are some guys that will be back this week. There are also guys that will maybe not be back this week. Darrington Evans, man, what a letdown his rookie year is turning out to be so far. He just can't get over this hamstring injury. And on Thursday, the Titans moved him to IR, so he will miss at least the next three games. The Titans designated Dane Crookshank as eligible to return off of IR, so he isn't back yet, but maybe will be soon. But Adoree Jackson, you think with some of those transactions that we saw today, if he was going to play this weekend, probably would have been activated on Thursday. There's still an outside chance he gets activated before Sunday's game, but I think the Titans are going to be facing Deshaun Watson and all those speedy receivers without a Dory. What do you think? 
Uh, yeah, nice to see that Adori was able to get some work in today uh, on the side field. Certainly, you know, insinuates that he's closer uh, to returning than he's been in, in recent weeks. Uh, probably won't be ready in time for this one, but it'd be great if they can get him back uh, in time for Pittsburgh uh, next week. Obviously, that's going to be a huge challenge. Uh, you know, both of them could still be undefeated going into that game. Could be a huge game, uh, you know, down the, down the stretch when we look at, you know, the mathematics of number one seeds and playoff buys and, and things of that nature. So it'd be, it'd be really big to get a Dory back for that Pittsburgh game. That definitely would be. Meanwhile, though, if they don't have him, I'd expect that they attack Deshaun Watson in much the same way that they just did with Josh Allen, which would be to sit back in a lot of zone coverages. They mix in a lot of cover two with some cover three stuff, a lot of different zone looks to try to confuse Josh Allen and really to allow him to sit back there and dink and dunk down the field and just not give up the big play and hope that eventually if you force an offense to drive that far, Either somebody's going to fall start, a receiver's going to drop a pass, and it bounces right into the hands of Malcolm Butler, or Josh Allen's just not going to see Malcolm Butler in a throwing lane somehow, and the Titans will get another turnover that way, or something like that will happen when you force a quarterback to drive that far down the field. And I think Watson, you have to attack him the same way, because otherwise, he will find those explosives. He'll hit Brandon Cooks, or Will Fuller, or Kenny Stills, or Randall Cobb down the field, and... I know the Texans haven't been great this year, but they had a killer start of the year to their schedule against really tough opponents. Bill O'Brien, I honestly, I, I get it if the locker room is is kind of lost and you know, you're know you 0-4 already, I get firing Bill O'Brien, but I feel like they become a worse football team for the 2020 season without Bill O'Brien there to coach them. We know Bill O'Brien, the G general manager, isn't great. We'll get into all this in a bit with Lance Zer Zerline, but I just I can't help but feel like the Texans gave up on the 2020 season by firing Bill O'Brien when they did. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I get where you're coming from. At the same time, I don't hate it. Um, when you know someone's time is up and it was very obvious that Bill had lost that team, uh, it also gives the team a, a chance to put together a search committee and, and get a head start on, on searching for who the next head coach, not only who the next head coach is, but who the next general manager is, right? And I think there's certainly something to be said um, about sort of gaining that advantage, uh, getting a leg up on the other teams who are also going to eventually be looking for new head coaches uh, and potentially general managers next season. So it gives Houston a chance to really start putting together a list uh, and start considering who, who they may want to interview um, for both of those but roles. So. The thing is, what what were your expectations? Just take it to that level for the Texans coming into 2020. Playoff contender, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think they were going to be great given, you know, all, Not all great. the disaster, you know, personnel moves and losing DeAndre Hopkins. But uh, I, I did go on record saying I, I'm very surprised, right, that they're 1-4 right now because I thought at the end of the day that when you have someone like Deshaun Watson at quarterback that you're going to be competitive, Right, I think that's been the biggest surprise so far is that they have such a good quarterback, uh, and it's not like they're you know to my knowledge they're not decimated with injury. They've got some injuries. Every team in the NFL has some injuries, so I would say the biggest surprise throughout all this is with a talent like Deshaun Watson at quarterback, they haven't even been competitive. It's just crazy to me that they would essentially say, I mean, unless they think Romeo Cornell is about to coach this team to the playoffs after a one and four start. It just seems like they said, you know what, it doesn't matter that we had a really tough start to the season. This year's over. Screw 2020. 
we're just going to look ahead to 2021. It feels like that's what the, I mean, obviously the players aren't thinking like that. The coaches on staff still aren't thinking like they're trying to win every single game, but from the upper management standpoint, it's like you guys just punted the year and said, Oh, well, 2020 is a loss. So I just want to point out that the Texans are, even though like the current perception of the Texans is that they're terrible and that Bill O'Brien is terrible and all that. Let's remember that this is a talented team. It's a divisional game. There's gonna be a lot of guys on the other side of the ball that want to stick it to Mike Vrabel and all their other former coaches and all their former teammates. So I just don't think that Titans fans, I mean, it doesn't matter how Titans fans feel. The Titans in the building certainly won't overlook the Texans, but this is certainly no easy win either by, by any means. I mean, there's no easy wins in the NFL. I just feel like Titans fans are thinking like, all right, we're four and now. And, uh, the Steelers are a couple weeks away, and we're definitely going to be five and zero when we get to the Steelers. And I'm just like, yeah, and, and I get where you're coming from, and I think the the smartest thing um, Titans fans can do to kind of stop themselves from thinking that way is uh, just look backwards, look a few, look to a few weeks ago what happened when they played a divisional game against Jacksonville, right? That was a, probably a lot closer than it should have been. Uh, you know, Titans almost lost that one, and and I don't think that's because they overlooked them uh, by any means necessary. I think a lot of times in this league, division games are sometimes your toughest games, uh, you know, no matter, the, no matter the opponent. The fact is, look, and Mike Malarkey uh, said this as well when we had him on here a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, no one knows each other better than divisional opponents, and, and that's usually going to make for a tough football game. I mean, we've seen it in, in other divisions. I remember the NFC West a few years ago uh, when the Rams were terrible, uh, we, we, you know, with Jeff Fisher, and say the Seahawks were great. The Rams always seemed to play the Seahawks well, or the Rams would at least win one of those games uh, over the Seahawks, and the Seahawks would win 13 games and the Rams would win three. But it was always that way, so... And keep in mind, the Texans have also had the Titans number, right? Let's be yeah. honest, uh, over the head-to-head over the last few years. Even with Mike Vrabel here, I mean, that that first game last year between the two teams, uh, that was up for, the division was up for grabs at that point, and Houston came to Tennessee and won that game, and that was a, a, a gut punch uh, of a loss. Obviously, the Titans won the Week 17 game to get into the playoffs, but keep in mind, the Texans weren't playing for anything at that point, right? They'd already had won the division and, you know, really couldn't move up the order in, in seating. So, uh, the starters the Texans, didn't even play, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the quarter, Deshaun Watson didn't even take a snap in, in that game. So, the Texans have had the Titans number in this series. Um, of, of course, you know, Bill O'Brien probably had a lot to do with that, truthfully. Uh, you know, Lance mentioned it. Uh, I, you know, I, obviously, it's easy to make fun of Bill, but I don't think he was an awful coach uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Obviously, he is an awful or was an awful GM, but I don't think he's an awful coach. So uh, I think this game is definitely going to be closer than people think. I I do expect the Titans to win this game, but um, I I would be pleasantly surprised if they go out there and and dust the Texans aside in a similar fashion to to what they did to Buffalo. And that's another factor. Uh, It sounds like I'm rambling now, but they're also on a short week now as well, right? So there are a lot of things at play here that uh, make me feel like this game is going to be a close one. All right, let's welcome in our guests now. We are thrilled to be joined by the NFL Draft Analyst for NFL.com, writes most of the scouting reports for NFL.com in draft season, and co-host of The Bench on 97.5 in Houston, Mr. Lance Zierlein. Welcome into the show. First question, am I pronouncing your name correctly? You are. Actually, um, somewhere along the line, uh, the German heritage is Zierlein. It is the long the second vowel of I E E I is the long vowel, so the long vowel sound. But um, unfortunately, somewhere along the the uh, Kansas farmlands where both of my parents come from, it it turned into Zerline. So it's it, it's pronounced like the kicker. I'll just put it that way. Gotcha, like Greg Zerline. All right. 
Well, thanks for being here tonight. We're going to preview this Tennessee Titans Houston Texans game. And we're going to start by asking you about the probably the biggest news in Houston, at least this football season. Bill O'Brien, after just four games, despite being given full control of pretty much every aspect of the team, is out. What was the reaction like when this went down in Houston? And what kind of impact do you see this having on the team? Uh, it was a it was a joyous reaction in the city of Houston. Um, you know, it's it's very strange. I've I've covered the local. I grew up a fan of Houston sports. I've covered the local teams for quite some time on Sports Talk Radio. Um, I've never seen anything like this. Where, yeah, yes, they won divisions, but they never felt like a threat to do much, and they always came up a little short. And I think what happened with Bill O'Brien and what's happening with the uh, the Houston Texans is that this really spans, depending on how long you've been a Houston football fan, it can span into the Oilers and, you know, their shortcomings. But even if you just stay with the Texans, you look at the shortcomings and the inability to come up big in big games. And I think there's just an overall general disappointment with the football team and and there's just a lack of expectations. And I actually think it got worse once the Houston Astros won a world series, because then it kind of turned the focus on the Astros, the the Houston Texans and, you know, how they have Deshaun Watson, but the, the city of Houston is really just not that excited about the Houston Texans and they win divisions. They're not that excited about them. And I think one of the real reasons is that people don't like Bill O'Brien, but as a coach, I thought he was an okay coach. I really did. As a personnel man, um, I, he was terrible. I mean, no understanding of trade value, no understanding of, of cap value, just a complete disaster. And it's not a, it's, that's not a job you can just pick up on the side. And so I think people in Houston, this is something I was warning people about after the Laramie Tunsil deal. And uh, you know, people, they were just happy to get a left tackle, but I understood the credit card spending was going to come back to haunt Houston. And it's, oh, it only got worse this, this next off season. So people in Houston are very glad. I think what's going to happen is that the team is going to play uh, more loose. I don't think the team, you know, I was, I was, uh, th- there's a source here in Houston that says that multiple players, uh, sent text messages and a concerted effort, uh, sent it to Jack Easterby, the executive vice president of football, to get rid of Bill, Bill O'Brien. They just did not want to play for him anymore. And I think once ownership knew that, that Bill O'Brien had lost the team, it made it, made it easier to, to make that move. And so I think you are going to see the team play loose, um, play with more energy, and play with a little less um, – a little less strain. Now, with all that said, I just don't think they're good enough to beat a team like the Titans when all things are equal. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you, you mentioned a couple of things there that I want to touch on, Lance. Uh, first of all, I'm glad you said that you feel he wasn't a terrible coach because I feel the same way, and I think that kind of gets lost in all this. He, he was not a bad coach, in my opinion. Right. He's obviously a terrible personnel man, but once once a players, as you just mentioned, start going over your head and start going to your boss, I mean, well, what choice do you have? Yeah, and I think, you know, and I think it does make sense. It, th- this is the thing. Bill O'Brien really, you know, he cut his own throat. I mean, his his quest for this power, and he acts like he didn't want it. And But the fact is, he was his own third general manager. And 
I think he did want that power. And once he got it, it actually put him, not only did he make it more difficult on himself, it was going to be more difficult for him in the off season and over the next two years, because not having a first or second round pick in this draft is brutal. It's just a brutal thing. And, and this is now the, uh, the third time in Bill O'Brien's tenure that he hasn't had a first round pick. This is now the second time in the last three years that he won't have had a first or second. Actually last year, he didn't have a first or second because they dealt the, uh, the second from uh, DeAndre Hopkins. No, 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 they did. They did. They dealt the DeAndre Hopkins pick for Brandon Cooks. But um, right. he is, I think he is a pretty good coach. The problem that I really have with Bill O'Brien right now is that I don't feel like he's created a philosophy that works for the offense and for Deshaun Watson. It's just Deshaun is not getting better. And that is completely on Bill O'Brien because he's supposed to be you know, the quarterback whisper. And, and I don't think he's helped Deshaun develop. Some of that's on Deshaun. But ultimately, you know, you, you've now hamstrung the team with, with poor salary cap moves, poor trades. And now your quarterback, I don't think, had full belief in Bill O'Brien at the end. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you released a very interesting nugget on Twitter today. Obviously, they're in the middle of the season, and they're going to take their time with a GM search. But you mentioned Daryl Morey, a GM who just, I believe, stepped down of the Houston Rockets. Obviously, very interesting. This is a guy who, of course, I, I would imagine has great relationships in the city of Houston. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time we've seen a personnel guy uh, you know, sort of cross over from another sport uh, into the NFL. We, we've seen that a little bit uh, lately. So tell us a little about what you're hearing about Maury, because I thought that was very interesting. Well, I, I think, you know, that's really me talking more than anything. I believe that he should be a a GM candidate for the Texans. I'm not going to say, a, I think a discussion needs to be had in that building with Jack Easterby, with um, Corn Ferry, who is, uh, Jed Hughes is the one who is heading up. He's a consultant with Corn Ferry who is heading up the GM search. But I'm telling you this right now, Daryl Morey has, obviously, you guys probably know, he heads up the Sloan Sports Conference and uh, the, the big analytics conference. And I had a discussion with, with, uh, with, Daryl back in about 2013, where he talked about there was a paper, there was a study done that was trying to disseminate who was the best general manager in the best organization. And what this study found is that teams who uh, consistently moved back in the draft and accumulated draft picks by any means necessary, they typically ended up having um, better runs and, and doing better because, because of two reasons. Number one, you simply are, you simply have more picks to throw at the wall to see what sticks. So it's just a pure quantity play. And the second thing was you have more players that you are likely to have on a rookie contract, which allows you, you know, to spend on um, exceptional talent. So you can do that because you have rookie contracts for longer and you have more younger players. Um, Daryl understands football, the, the football philosophy. And, and now he, he sees it as an outsider, obviously. So he, he might come in and view things differently. He doesn't know how to evaluate football talent. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that I think he understands the philosophy of team building. And that's why I do think that he could cross over with the right personnel people around him, director of scouting, uh, maybe an assistant GM, a college uh, director, I mean, a, a, a pro football, a pro personnel guy that's a good 
pro personnel guy. I think that he could potentially do that job. Will he be taken seriously for that? Does he want it? The answer is probably no on both fronts, but the answer shouldn't be no on both fronts because I do think it is something he can do. And it's not just me. It's three other personnel people from the NFL that I talked to today who have ties to to Houston at different times in their past and all of them who – know about Daryl and maybe have had conversations with him and have followed and studied what he's done. They all think that, that if there is a guy who could do it, it would be him. That's pretty interesting. We saw Paul De Podesta come over from baseball to be uh, take over to the Browns. And I mean, so far it looks like he's done a good job of, like you said, building a team, even if he doesn't have to evaluate talent. So that'd be pretty intriguing. I would definitely follow that storyline and, you look at guys like Monty Austin Ford and other people that the Texans have interviewed in the past that you could bring in to be a personnel guy. I want to transition now and move over talk about this weekend's matchup a little bit, specifically talking about Houston's offense. I'm curious how much you think or, or know even that Bill O'Brien was kind of overseeing what Tim Kelly was doing. And I know he took back play calling duties, I think, in week four. Obviously, he was fired, so Tim Kelly became the offensive coordinator again, perhaps without the overseer. Was there anything different about Houston's offense last week you think maybe that they changed aside from just like targeting Brandon Cooks nonstop? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, Bill O'Brien took back over control, but he claimed that he didn't, that he was just the one relaying plays in, which I don't know why you want to lie about something like that. You're the head coach, GM. Just tell him. Who cares? Just say, yeah, I took over. If I'm going to go down, I'm going down with my own play calls. I don't, who cares? He doesn't care about anyone else's feelings on it. He's a gruff guy. Like <laughs> gives a shit, Bill, just just say the truth. You know, you were calling plays, right. but um, no, we did see more RPOs. We saw a little bit more. I, I think what you're going to see with the Titans now is at some point, Deshaun Watson needs to be a threat to run um, on some called runs and potentially on scrambles. He's, He's really developed this affinity with trying to find, and I think it's a good thing ultimately that he continues to scan the field when he's outside of the pocket and try to make plays. It's something that typically in the evaluation world we're you know a fan of. However, with Deshaun Watson, I think when it comes to moving the sticks, there have been too many opportunities where he could have you know, extended a drive with a third down run and ends up throwing an incomplete pass. And I think he's got to get comfortable with with using his legs more. He's got to be comfortable with the concept of being a dual threat quarterback. And I know he'd made a, uh, you know, a comment about it when he came out that um, he made a comment that um, he didn't want to just be known as a dual threat quarterback. He thought that was kind of a, uh, a slap in the face, but it's really not. I mean, the ability to beat Josh Allen is um, Russell Wilson is, uh, Lamar Jackson, those are three of the top, you know, those are legitimately three of the top uh, MVP candidates that you're going to have in any given year now. So at least this year. So, you know, I don't think it's a slap in the face at all. And I think it's something that really benefits the team. You are going to see, you know, if the Texans want to move the ball against the Titans, they've got to get Duke Johnson more involved. One thing about David Johnson, he is syrupy slow through the line. And that's just not going to cut it. That's just too much of a grind. And you can't play grinded out football against the Titans. I mean, they're, they're the team that's best at grinding you out right now. And it's just not something that's going to, they're going to have to hit explosive plays at some point. 
I'm curious if you think the there's so much familiarity between these two organizations, not just because they're division rivals that play twice a year, but with all the staff members and players that used to play or coach in Houston, now in Tennessee, I'm wondering if you think that that gives the Titans more of an advantage because they kind of know how the building works inside Houston or with Bill O'Brien gone, does the familiarity of players like Clowney's tendencies and, and other guys that are now on the Titans actually help the Texans more? What do you think? No, no, I think the Titans have the advantage here. I think, uh, you know, J.J. Watt, they're going to know what J.J. Watt's tendency. Number one, they're going to know tendencies better because it's a division team. But when you talk about the inner personnel, um, yeah, I mean, everybody knows Clowney. Who doesn't know Clowney likes to make inside moves? He doesn't commit to an outside rush. He likes to beat you with an inside move. Laramie Tunsil has to know that if they want to move him to the other side, Titus Howard has got to be coached that don't let Clowney beat you on an inside move. That's not the hardest thing in the world. I think the advantage is knowing that JJ Watt likes to backdoor some plays and loses gap contain. I think knowing all about Whitney merciless, I think, you know, knowing about Zach Cunningham. Um, and remember there's been some turnover since Mike Vrabel's left as well. So I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's either one of those things are going to be, you know, to me, it's the familiarity of, of, of playing against the team. But with Bill O'Brien not in the building, I do think, I do think it could be interesting what Tim Kelly cooks up this week, because I know Deshaun Watson likes him, and I know they used to work on the offensive game plan and the install together last year. And then Bill O'Brien would come in late in the week and make alterations and changes, and they didn't like it. So now I am interested to see if we see some vastly different things against the Titans. Maybe show the Titans something they haven't seen up to this point on tape. Interesting. Yeah, and one of those underrated storylines, you know, because obviously everyone knows, look, Mike Vrabel in Houston. Uh, you know, even though Bill O'Brien is gone, he played for Romeo Cornell, right? So there are still some ties there. Mm -hmm. uh, you got not only Jadavion Clowney in Tennessee, but you have Jonathan Joseph, who spent a long time in Houston. And you have uh, uh, right. secondary coach Anthony Midget, who came over from Houston. But one underrated storyline that's not getting mentioned a lot is uh, Tim Kelly, who you just mentioned. His brother is the starting right tackle for the Tennessee Titans and Dennis Kelly. So that'll be another underrated story line to follow along this week yeah it's pretty interesting um one thing i want to get into uh as well look the deandre hopkins trade uh, i know you know not to beat a dead horse but certainly one of the worst if not the worst personnel move uh that bill o'brien made during his time there uh now that you know the texans have obviously played five games without him you know, things obviously aren't going great. They're one in four. But how much do you think now that we have a sample size, how much has Watson missed having Hopkins out there? I mean, it's been it's been huge. There were some issues with with Hopkins and with the front office and Bill O'Brien. I mean, look, I, I just think there was some financial stuff, but there was other stuff, too. And they just clashed his personalities. But if you're going to move a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, there's two things you need to remember. Number one, um, you had better get a lot better value back than you got. And we all know that he didn't. Everyone knows it's, it's universally understood. But I think the, the, the big second point is that you have to know that Deshaun Watson worked with Mike Williams in college. He worked with D-Hop his entire time with Houston. He's used to big ball-winning type wide receivers and guys who can, you know, control the catch space some. And, and, and DeAndre Hopkins is the best contested catch receiver that you, that you may ever see. And understanding that, you've got to make sure that you have a wide receiver not like Brandon Cooks and not like 
uh, a Randall Cobb and not like, <clears throat> you know, Will Fuller who are not contested catch guys. You've got to go find someone out there. You've got to make that a priority to get a contested catch guy and put them on the, uh, you know, on the team. And I think that's where they really missed is that they had a chance in a super deep wide receiver draft to, to keep that second round pick not trade for Brandon cooks and his contract and go get one of these talented wide receivers, you know, in the second round. And, and they didn't do it. I think one of the problems that we're seeing now at DeAndre Hop or Deshaun Watson, he had three passes that were crossing routes or slants that got batted down last week. Sidney Jones, I think got two of them and somebody else got the third. And the problem is, Deshaun Watson's not great with ball placement. And so now that he doesn't have a guy who can win that catch space, you know, dominate the catch space and win those contested catches, he's got to be more fine with the football and he's got to be more precise. And that's not really his game right now. So Tim Kelly is going to have to, I think, do a good job of getting Deshaun into a rhythm and recognizing the fact that he's going to have to put him in position where he can throw to areas instead of throwing to tight windows. And one thing you mentioned there that I think uh, you make a great point, and there's got to be more to it, and that's what you said regarding, you know, the Hopkins departure. You know, look, you can't just be the financials because, you know, we heard whispers that, you know, Bill O'Brien and him maybe didn't get along great. Of course, Bill leaned on the money saying that, you know, they, they couldn't pay him what he wanted. But then they go out and they paid a ton of money to the inside linebackers who, you know, historically speaking, at least in my opinion, isn't the best way to spend money on your defense, right? If you're going to shell out huge contracts on defense, typically, you're, you know, you'd like to do it to an edge rusher, a guy who gets after the quarterback, or a lockdown corner. But, you know, you trade a guy like Hop, you, you don't get the value back for him, and then you spend a ton of money on those inside linebackers. I mean, what does it say about what you really could have afforded to pay a guy like Hopkins? Yeah, and, and this is where not having, you know, I don't want to harp on it, but this is where not having a, a team builder, not having a true organiz, organization, uh, an experienced organizational, well, I mean, frankly, just a real GM. The fact that you didn't have a real GM in the building who understands, wow, we're allocating a ton of money to left tackle, a ton of money to quarterback. We really have to be smart about whether or not what we're going to pay Zach Cunningham, because, you know, Zach Cunningham is a, is a, is a three down linebacker, but I wouldn't call him an elite three down linebacker. And that's what he's being paid like. And this is when you already are paying Bernard McKinney a pretty good chunk. And that's, you know, he's out for the year and you're right. He's another inside linebacker. He's a two down linebacker has to come off the field and you've got so much money that you're paying running back and inside linebacker. And from an analytics standpoint, it's just, that's just not acceptable. And granted, Bernardrick McKinney is probably a cap cut after this this year. And you look at um, David Johnson and he's probably a one and done as well, but they're just, they just don't seem to have a plan that involves, you know, at least two to three years down the road. They don't have a, a vision. And so in the division, look, Chris Ballard has that. I think the Titans have that. Um, we'll see about the Jaguars, but um, you know, we'll see what they have, but I'm just not convinced the Texans are ready to, you know, I'm just not convinced the Texans are ready to put it all together and, and um, uh, uh, turn the corner. I think Deshaun Watson knew exactly what he was doing when he got the shortest term contract uh, he could possibly get with three years. Yeah, that's pretty wild. 
Um, all right, we're going to let you go here soon. I have one last thing I want to touch on with you, which is just that the Texans' run defense has been surprisingly putrid. They are 30th in the league in terms of rushing yards per game allowed. They're 26th when you look at DVOA rush defense. What is going on with the Texans' run D this year? Well, they lost um, DJ Reader. Right. And um, they lost DJ Reader, and and that's been a big, big problem. They They just... J.J. Watt has played fairly well. He's just not having a huge impact. I think that one inside linebacker, Zach Cunningham, you paid a bunch of money to, he really has not played up to his new contract at all. You're not getting a good hard edge set by Whitney Merciless. And frankly, he's not been the same player since Mike Vrabel left. I I think Mike Vrabel, frankly, built Whitney into the player that he was at one point. And then when he left, I think he's, you know, had problems uh, staying at that level. Uh, The other problem has been, you know, you really don't – have you, you you don't have the interior to be able to occupy blocks you don't have an inside linebacker that understands how to beat blocks or slip blocks and you're basically just making you're catching tackles right now you're catching tackles in your own backfield because you can't win at the point of attack and when you can't win with your defensive front teams are going to beat you up and you know this is on paper this is a nightmare for the texans now i'm sure that um i'm sure that that we'll see Romeo Cornell and, and Cornell's got some experience. So I'm sure he's going to be an Anthony Weaver, the new defense coordinator's ear trying to, you know, tighten this defense up and maybe sneak an extra, maybe add an extra man late in the box. So he sees more eight man fronts. And that's why Ryan, Ryan Tannehill on the offense for the Titans have to be ready to take shots down, uh, downfield to really challenge what is frankly, and also a very putrid secondary. So, <laughs> you know, you, Running the ball will control the clock, but the Texans can also be beaten down the field. So it's going to be uh, very intriguing to see how Tennessee decides to try and exploit the Texans. Uh, You know, there's not a lot of mystery to what the Titans are going to do. And I think that's one of the keys to their success is that they do what they're good at. Uh, And on the Texans front, they're going to have to do something different to slow down Derrick Henry in that offense. Uh, Look, Lance, we've really appreciated your time tonight, man. In closing, uh, you kind of touched on it there, but just some final thoughts on the matchup. It sounds like you're you're predicting a Titans win in this one. Yeah, I I like the Titans to win this, but I do think that you're going to see one of Deshaun Watson's better games. I think this is going to be a close one. I just think ultimately the Texans have a real problem with stopping people in the fourth quarter with the run game. They've done okay for the first three quarters uh, in a couple of games, but in the fourth, they get worn down, and we know that that's when when Tennessee can really crank it up. So I think it'll be a good game for three quarters, and then the Titans will finish it off in the fourth. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lance, for joining us tonight. You guys can follow Lance at Lance Zerline on Twitter. That's Z-I-E-R-L-E-I-N. Seriously, when draft season comes around, there's nobody that does it better. So thank you so much again for your time. And we will uh, look forward to speaking to you sometime again in the offseason, maybe. Okay, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Well, that will do it for this show. Before we get out of here, you can hear the music playing. Before we get out of here, score prediction? We don't usually do score predictions, but screw it. You got any thoughts on a score prediction? Yeah, I will say uh, 33-27 for Tennessee. Hmm. I was going to say 33-20. But now that you said 33, I'll say <laughs> 34. Wow, you're going to prices right me right here, eh, Bob? <laughs> you're going to prices right me. 
Yeah, closest one wins some Broadway merch. That's not true. But if you do <laughs> reply to our Broadway Sports at Broadway TN tweet asking for score predictions, if anyone predicts the game score outcome correctly, we are giving away free merch. So go follow at Broadway TN. Make sure you're following the show at MCA Broadway. Justin is at Justin M underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room, and I have a big favor to ask all of our listeners out there right now. I know, I know, I know you guys hate favors, but if you wouldn't mind taking out your phone or going into your browser, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, if you haven't given us a five-star review yet, we would really, really appreciate it. It helps us grow the show, helps other people find us as we show up in people's algorithms for sports and Titans podcasts. Give us that five-star rating if you feel so kind today. It takes uh, uh, just a couple of seconds. And uh, if you have a podcast out there and you need a five-star rating, we will happily give you one as well. So we will go rating for rating here. Hit us up in the Twitter DMs if you if that's actually a thing you want to explore with us. Anyway, I'm rambling now too. We're a, rambler, a bunch of ramblers here on the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports. Be sure to check out broadwaysportsmedia.com, partnered with 440 Sports, our podcasting partner, That'll do it for this episode, previewing the upcoming Titans-Texans matchup. Any last thoughts? No, that should do it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I thought Lance was terrific, and uh, you know, thanks to him for coming on. Big thanks again to Lance for his time on this fine Thursday evening. That's it. No Thursday night football that we're being distracted by because the Titans actually it was. Yeah, it wasn't. The Titans ruined everything by forcing <laughs> the Bills to push their game back. But hey, we get two Monday night games this week. So you're welcome, America. All right. The end. The end. Music out. A Broadway Sports Media Production.